Thank you, Teresa. Those aren't very encouraging words, are they, from Ezekiel? <laughs> right? You're never going to be found again. You're going to go down to the pit. It's, it's kind of just sad. And yet, that was uh, what the Israelites needed to hear in order to, to kind of wake up, really, to what they needed to be doing. And, and so it's applicable, that passage of Scripture, because of what we're going to see today in the flood narrative in Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. <clears throat> so I encourage you to turn your Bibles there if you would. We're going to be talking about the hand of God today. We see it throughout this entire passage. God's sovereign hand, his powerful hand, is just orchestrating all kinds of things. And so as we think about that, a March 2011 poll surveyed Americans regarding their beliefs about God's involvement in natural disasters. <clears throat> the following are some of the results of this research. 56% of the Americans surveyed believe that God is in control of the earth. A little over half believe that God's in control of the earth. 38% believe that God employs events in nature to dispense judgment. So basically 38% say, hey, yeah, God uses natural disasters for judgment. <coughs> it goes on, <coughs> excuse me, and 29% believe that God punishes entire nations for the sins of a few. It's, anyhow, what I find interesting about that is it's like uh, we're all sinners, by the way. <clears throat> so it's not just for a few, it's for everybody. Nearly 60% of evangelical Christians agreed that God can use natural disasters to send messages. To like, wake up, you know, <laughs> pay attention. 44% of Americans say that the increased severity of recent natural disasters is evidence that we are in the end times. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, in the end times. And then 61% of Christians from racial and ethnic minorities believe that natural disasters are God's way of testing our faith. And according to the article, that idea resonates with African Americans' history of surviving through slavery and racial discrimination. And so the article concluded this. After one of these disasters, like the 2011 Japanese earthquake and tsunami, people turn to their clergy and theologians, and they look for answers, and there are no great answers. But almost every group believes you have to help people who are suffering. That's tough, you know, because people come to their clergy and they go, why would this happen? Why has God allowed uh, bad things to happen to good people? It, there's just a flaw in that belief. We're not all good people. <laughs> We're all sinners. And so um, <clears throat> why does he allow that to happen? It's, it's because this is in his sovereign power. He does. He, he, he tries to encourage people to turn to him, to seek his face. Seeing the hand of God, I think, is so incredible. And, you know, we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because so many times, he's doing stuff all the time, isn't he? And we miss it because we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear what he's trying to accomplish. I don't know about you, but I see the hand of God almost every day. When I, as I seek his face, I see his hand at work. It was a very busy week this past week. I had a bunch of meetings, uh, Zoom calls and all kinds of other meetings. And I, almost every night was busy except for Monday night and, and uh, Friday night. And I was trying to complete um, a, ha a project at our house uh, and trying to get everything around for the upcoming revival. And so on Monday, I was just feeling overwhelmed. When I got up Monday morning, I was like, oh, there's just too much to do this week. How am I going to get it all done? Because I had to prepare the message for Sunday. I had to prepare the message for Monday night, uh, this coming Monday. And like all of that was just weighing heavy on me. And, and what it did was just drove me to pray. And so I spent time with the Lord. And, 
and I'd gotten all the work done on Sunday evening that I normally do on Monday morning, so I was trying to work ahead so I could spend the morning with Judy and her parents because they were with us over the weekend. And uh, I was able to work in the afternoon for several hours and get other items accomplished here at work. And then there's a mowing job that I do over in Asper for a, a lady there. <clears throat> and uh, I wasn't able to mow the week before because um, of all the rain. <clears throat> and so I needed to get there on that Monday. So I was able to get there uh, late Monday afternoon and get the mowing done. And then I needed to uh, work on the bathroom project that we were, that we're trying to complete at the house. And uh, I, I did all of that because uh, Monday night was really the only night I had available that I wasn't uh, had other activities here at the church. And then finally, after all, all doing all of that stuff, I sat down around 9.30 p.m. to read five commentaries for the message for today. So that was a long day. And then I woke up and did it all again on Tuesday, and it was another long day. <clears throat> and then Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and so uh, but what's incredible is that Tuesday morning, the Lord just directed my thoughts and guided my day as I was able to get a lot accomplished within a little bit of time. And he just guided and directed my thoughts as I sat with Pastor Mark and we talked about the message and began to develop the big idea and the, and the different uh, points. <clears throat> and through all of this, I saw that God was completely in control of everything I was doing. I saw his hand at work in my life. And so I hope that you see the hand of God at work in your life. Every one of us probably has seen the hand of God at work in our lives. And if you haven't, maybe it's just because you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. We just need to be attentive to what he's doing. We could share examples of how God was completely in control of a busy week, a difficult situation, maybe finals at school or a job search, a medical issue, and so much more. And I want to encourage us this morning to reflect on the time, the last time that we saw the hand of God at work in our lives. What was going on at that time? How did God help, guide, or direct us in that situation, and what was the outcome? So I want you to just reflect on that today. And two weeks ago... Pastor Mark opened up Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, and he talked about having the right stuff. And that passage built on the end of Genesis chapter 6, and what we're going to find today in verses 11 to 16 is it's building on chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. It's, it's all a part of the story, the flood narrative, and how God's hand was on every aspect of leading up to the actual flood taking place. And so today what we're going to see is this big idea, is that God is in complete control of his creation. We should already know that, right? Something that we should already be aware of, that God is completely, is in complete control of his creation. And so as we think about that, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today as um, broken people, as people who um, need saved. And Lord, as we see that today in this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to receive that message of hope. <clears throat> we thank you that you are in complete control of your creation, that your sovereign power is at work in and through our lives. I pray that we wouldn't miss it, that we would be attuned to it, that we would open our eyes and open our ears and recognize when you are working. And so we commit ourselves to you today, and we confess the times where we have neglected to do that and ask that you would bring healing and forgiveness. So we ask all this in your precious son's name. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. I call this point waterworks. <clears throat> so you're going to see some alliteration throughout today's message. Um, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> 
Let's look at those two verses. This is what God's word says. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were, were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So you understand waterworks, don't you? So when did the flood happen? We learned two weeks ago that the flood happened when Noah was 600 years old, but today we're getting a little more specific information about when uh, during his 600th year this took place, and it was the 17th day of the second month. Now, what we have to understand here is from one commentator helps us understand that the, the months must be reckoned not according to the Mosaic ecclesiastical year, which uh, commenced in the spring, but according to the natural or civil year, which commenced in the autumn at the beginning of sowing time or the autumnal equinox, so that the flood would have been poured, uh, pouring upon the earth in October and November. So we just need to understand that's the time frame here. This is the kind of the calendar that they're on and not the one that we're accustomed to. That's why the second month wouldn't be February. It'd be like October, November. <clears throat> so the 17th day... There, there went my batteries, so I don't know how long it'll last now that it's back. <laughs> Anyhow, the 17th day will be important as we continue the flood narrative in the, in the weeks to come. So keep your eyes peeled for the next time you see that 17th day in Genesis. And uh, uh, So now we know more specifics about when the flood... There we go. Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we know more specifics about when the flood happened now. We're also given more details about how the flood happened. So there were two sources for the flood waters. The springs of the great deep burst forth. That was the first one we see here. Uh, there was water that was coming up from deep within the earth. Now, the NIV translates the Hebrew as burst forth, but it also has the idea of opening something that was shut. That Hebrew word, that's what it also has that idea. Breaking something up that was sealed. And so I'm kind of reminded of the questions that God asks Job when he answers him in chapter 38 to 41 in the book of Job. Listen to these verses in chapter 38, verses 8 to 11. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness... When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. So like when God did what he did in, in creation, it's like he set boundaries for the sea and the ocean. He says, you can't go any further than this. And so I believe that the springs came up from the great deep, but I also believe that God removed the doors and bars from the oceans and seas and allowed them to come over the dry land. Then the second thing that we see here is the floodgates of the heavens were opened. The firmament, or the sky, that God had created to separate the waters above from the waters below was also opened up. I like what uh, uh, Golden Gate says. God is indeed reversing his work of creation. He had then established the dome, 
or the sky to hold back the water in the heavens while evidently allowing for some apertures through which rain could fall. Now he lets the apertures be wide open. What falls is more than rain, it's an overwhelming downpour. And then Hamilton says this, there is no doubt that the two sources of water are intended to recall the waters above and below of Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. The flood uncreates and returns the earth to a pre-creation period when there was only waters. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, when he created all of this. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So we see that he does this in creation, and now during this flood narrative, he's like, he's reversing that. And so it just reminds us that God's sovereign power is shown through the rejoining of the waters. That's our first principle today. The hand of God was at work through the, through the flood. He removed the barriers uh, that he had created and established to hold back the waters. And in his sovereign plan to deal with the sin of humanity, he allowed the waters to rejoin so that the earth could once again be washed clean. God knew exactly what he was doing. He's completely in control of his creation. That's our big idea. And that includes us as human beings. He uses his sovereign power to allow difficulties and hardships to come into our lives so that we will return to him, so that we will cry out to him, so that we will depend and rely on him. And so is God trying to get your attention right now? Are you experiencing some difficulty or hardship that has you confused and frustrated and maybe questioning God? What are you doing, God? I don't understand. Why are you allowing this to happen? Maybe he's trying to get your attention. Maybe he's trying to tell you something. Maybe he wants you to return to him. Maybe you've been uh, kind of wayward for a little while. And in his sovereignty, God is trying to get your attention. And the question is, is are you listening to him? And so maybe you need to take this step today. And it's to recognize God's sovereign power at work in my life and turn to him for help. We're told when and how the flood happened, and now we're told how long it lasted. The rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, we complain when it rains just a whole week, right? Straight? But imagine if it rained for 40 days straight. That's almost a month and a half. Like I mentioned uh, earlier uh, in the introduction, you know, um, two weeks ago I was just frustrated because I, was, I wasn't able to mow the lawn in Aspers because every day that I was free to mow, it rained, and every day that I wasn't free to mow, it, it was clear. And I was like, ah, and then I got there, you know, this past Monday, and it was, I was making hay. I'll just put it that way. It was, it was tall. And um, so I was frustrated by that, but I just remember living in Greencastle growing up as a kid, and my dad pastored over there many years ago, and there was a flood that, floodwaters that kind of came up in our neighborhood, and our neighbors, um, they uh, had a, a little John boat or a canoe, I don't remember which one, but um, they also had this uh, little... A group of trees that were all pine trees, but there was a whole bunch of them together. <clears throat> and the water had, had kind of settled underneath those pine trees, and they were just canoeing right through the, the pine trees. And as a six or seven year old, I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> let's go play in that. And uh, the different times that we've gotten heavy rain here, the, the pond will overflow its banks, and my kids have taken the boogie boards and ridden the wave. You know, there's this little wave that comes out from the pond. You'll have to see it sometime. Just come over when it rains really hard the next time, we'll go have some fun right? They were riding these boogie boards down this little uh, stream that was going out into where our garden is and, and everything. But uh, they, yeah, they've enjoyed that kind of stuff. And we, 
We know that this is how long it rained, but the floodwaters remained for another 110 days. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to give that part of the story away, so you have to come back for that one. So God's sovereign power, his, his sovereignty, and his powerful hand had removed the barriers to the waters above and below, but his sovereign hand was also guiding Noah, his family, and the animals. So our second point today in verses 13 to the beginning of verse 16 is guided gathering. I told you there was some alliteration here today. Look at those verses with me if you would. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that had the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. <clears throat> and so we see this guided gathering that takes place on that very day. This is talking about the same day that the waters came up from the deep and the heavens were open and rain poured down. That seems pretty incredible. It's like everybody got on, all the animals got on in one day. But God had warned Noah seven days earlier. We saw that last or two weeks ago in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. God said, in seven days, I'm going to send this flood. And it was during that time, I believe, that um, these animals were coming and, and Noah and his family were, were gathering them together and putting them in the ark in the different places so that they had prepared for them. And then on the same day that the flood began, Noah had completed the entire, or the entering process, I should say, with his family and the animals, and everyone and everything was on board. They were ready to go. We know who entered the ark from humanity because they're listed. <clears throat> it's Noah and his wife, Noah's sons and their wives, and then we see this grouping of animals that enter the ark, the wild animals, and those are just ones that aren't domesticated, according to their kinds. Livestock, which would have been like sheep and you know, the, you know, goats and cows, those different things. Those that are domesticated, according to their kind. Every creature that moves along the ground, according to their kind. You know, like snakes, all the fun things, you, you like the, the lizards and anything with short legs. Every bird according to their kind. And then I hadn't seen this before until this time. It just jumped out to me. Everything with wings. It's like bats and insects and other things. Anything that wasn't a bird, I guess. Pairs of all animals, male and female, came to Noah. And so again, we see God's sovereign power, and it's evident in bringing the animals to the ark. We see the hand of God, again, completely controlling his creation. Now, I don't know the specifics of how God commanded those animals to come, I don't need to know the specifics of that. All I know is that they obeyed. God said, hey, you two, male and female, go. And they went. And this is the sovereign power of God at work in his creation. Have you experienced God's sovereign power to completely control his creation? You know, there's multiple examples of how certain things are preserved when everything else around is completely destroyed. From 2019, in West Virginia, there's this story. When firefighters arrived at Freedom Ministries Church in Grandview, West Virginia, they were left stunned by what they saw. A devastating fire, so hot that firefighters had to back out at one point, was ravaging through the building, the Coal City Fire Department said in a Facebook post. But as they went through the charred wreckage, they noticed something extraordinary. In your mind, everything should be burned. Ashes. Not a single Bible was burned and not a single cross was harmed, the department wrote. The Facebook post, which went viral, features compelling photos of a, of a pile of about a dozen intact Bibles surrounded by the rubble. 
Though the odds were against us, God was not, firefighters added. No firefighters were injured in the operation. The cause of the fire is still unclear. And so, <clears throat> I don't know, there's all kinds of stories like that, right? I read another one about Dollywood and how they were cleaning up after the wildfires down there, and there were pages of scripture that were, you know, charred around the edges, but the one scripture was talking about fire. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of wild. I don't know about you, but I think God controls creation, too, for me from time to time. When I was hunting back in Missouri, I'd always pray and ask the Lord to let me see something, and he always did. <laughs> you have to be a little more specific with the Lord sometimes. I always saw the deer that I wasn't allowed to shoot. You know, like it was, it was buck season, all I saw was doe. Or it was bow season, and all I saw were deer that were further away than 30 yards, you know, and they wouldn't come in. And I'm like, ah. So, you know, God controls his creation. I'm, I'm, I pray much more specifically now. <laughs> Lord, please let me get a deer. <laughs> the one that's in season. <laughs> and he's provided the past three years, praise the Lord. <laughs> but he controls his creation and so maybe you're ready to take this next step today, and that's to worship the Lord for his sovereign power to control his creation. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time where you just stopped and said, God, I worship you for your sovereign power to control your creation? God's hand was present in starting the flood and guiding both humans and animals to the ark, but his hand would accomplish one more thing. Look at the last half of verse 16. Then the Lord shut him in. The last part of verse 16 tells us the Lord is the one who shut Noah, his family, and the animals in the ark. Gango and Bramer in their commentary said, God himself shut the door to signify that the days of grace that we see in Genesis 6-3 were over. It took them over 100 years to build this ark. People knew Noah's doing something kind of odd out here in the desert. He's building an ark. Doesn't make much sense. And he got to share with them why. But the days of grace were over. This is God's protective care for those he was saving. And so we see this third principle this morning, that divine grace brings salvation. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Noah and his family were sinners, just like us. But God had declared Noah righteous, and his neighbors, Noah's neighbors, had found him blameless because he walked with God. He deserved to be wiped out with the rest of humanity, but God extended grace to him. Every one of us deserves to die in our sin and be separated from God for all of eternity. That's what Romans 6.23, the first part of it says, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn or deserve for our sin is to be separated from God for all of eternity. But aren't you grateful that that's not God's heart for his people, for his creation? God could leave us in that state, but he loves us too much to do that. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And then John 3.16, we're so familiar with that one. For God so loved the world. Guess what? You're part of the world. He loves you. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He doesn't want you to be separated from him for all of eternity. That's that spiritual death. And he made a way for all of humanity to be in a right relationship with him. This is what God's word says at the end of Romans 6, 23. The second half of that says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He gives that to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, tell us this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one has family experienced the Lord's divine grace, and they were saved from being destroyed by the floodwaters. And guess what? You and I can experience the same divine grace and be saved from eternal separation from God. We just have to recognize that we're a sinner. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm a good person. No, you're not. <laughs> we're all born with the desire to have our own way. We're all born sinners. And you're like, ah, I haven't done that many bad things. But God's word talks about if we just fail at one of the Ten Commandments, it's as though we failed at all of them. And so you're like, well, I still think I'm a good person. Let me help you a little bit. Have you ever lied? It's one of the Ten Commandments. So you've broken, if you've broken that one, you've broken them all. And so you're a sinner. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? It makes you a thief. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? It's called blasphemy. Have you ever hated someone or looked at someone with lust? Again, that goes back to the Ten Commandments. Jesus just upped the ante for us there in the New Testament when he said, if you look at someone with lust, it's as though you committed adultery with them. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He says, if you harbor anger in your heart towards someone else, it's as though you've killed them. That's murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, we just have what, four or five right there, and we realize that we're not a good person. We're all sinners, and we need to be saved. So we have to recognize that we're a sinner, and then we need to repent of our sin. Repentance is more than just saying that we're sorry. It's saying, God, I'm not going to continue to go back to that sin. I'm turning to you. It's a 180-degree turn. And then we accept God's gift of grace by faith. And then we turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And maybe that's the step you're ready to take today. It's the third one, the last one on your communication card. And that's to accept God's divine grace through faith in Jesus Christ and be saved from my sins. As we review a little bit today, have you recognized God's sovereign power at work in your life? And have you turned to him for help? When's the last time you've worshipped the Lord for his sovereign power to control his creation? And then are you ready to accept God's divine grace through faith in Jesus Christ? You know, when we share with others how God has shown his sovereign power in our life and control over his creation, we're witnessing for the Lord. We're telling others what we've seen and heard and experienced. And that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Recently, there was a surprising source arguing for the historicity of the biblical flood, the New York Times. An article on sea level rise in human history noted this. In the 19th century, ethnographers realized that virtually every old civilization had some kind of flood myth in its literature. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, waters so overwhelm the mortals that the gods grow frightened too. In India's version, Lord Vishnu warns a man to take refuge in a boat carrying seeds. In the Bible, God orders Noah to take two of every living creature on his ark. Terence J. Hughes says this, I don't think the biblical deluge is just a fairy tale. I think some kind of major flood happened all over the world, and it left an indelible imprint on the collective memory of mankind that got preserved in these stories. <clears throat> the amazing thing is, yep, there's all, every, every culture has a flood story. Most of them are myths. But the one we find in Scripture today is truth. It actually happened. 
It wasn't a myth. God had to wipe out humanity because all they thought about all the time was evil. And he found one family that was righteous, that was blameless in their culture. And out of his divine grace and love, he saved them. And we see God's divine hand in that. And how the flood started, and how different individuals um, and animals to come to the ark, and how he sealed them in and kept them safe. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is sovereign? who controls completely his creation. I know I'm grateful for that. As we close this morning, we're going to be singing a song that is just, again, going to help us move into um, revival. And it talks about reviving us as a body of believers, and we're going to be singing it every, each evening uh, during the revival services. But as the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we just come to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. We just thank you that you are a sovereign, powerful God. You have the right to rule, and you rule rightly in our lives. Lord, we thank you, too, that, um, that you are in control completely of your creation, and that we can trust you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would just move by your Holy Spirit and prepare our hearts uh, for this week. And we just ask this all in your precious son's name. Amen. Why don't you stand?